0: Pro stories, life lessons, turning points, service to others, truth, no bullshit, adding value, no smoke and mirrors, being the pressure, third down and 10, win or learn, always the underdog with a chip on your shoulder. These are the things that I think about when I talk to this group. From service academy fleet leaders, NFL players, NASCAR drivers, tech gurus, private equity, small business, big business, to the entrepreneurs making the way of the future, winning at all costs with uncompromised integrity, Paying the price of admission. Let's go. <clears throat> so today, we're spotlighting a dream chaser uh, who's turning his vision into a reality. Today, we got Chris Nervin, a.k.a. Sweetener. Sweetener. How do you say it? Sweetener. Sweetener. Oh, so like like sweetener it. Yeah, put some sweetener in your life, man. Ah, some sweetener. Got it. What's the story behind sweetener? How did that come about?
1: Well, I uh, my brother and I were the nerds in college in the Navy locker rooms. Big nerd, little nerd, and I played a lot of guitar in the locker room and um, just kind of established, I guess, like sweet sweet nerd, kind of like playing sweet music. I don't know, It just kind of became my 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 nickname, and gotcha. then I just let it become our, our whole brand. I just love to play on words for marketing, you know? Yeah, gotcha. A little cool. coffee, cool coffee.
0: 2015 Navy grad, senior of 14, was a D lineman of 260 pounds. What are you weighing nowadays? 270, 270 actually. 270. Right. Now I'm probably 235. 235. Okay. Gotcha. From Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, now residing in Memphis, Tennessee. Um, was a surface warfare officer, and you still are in the reserves, right? Mm-hmm. But now a senior songwriter. Check him out on YouTube, his page. Um, a food truck entrepreneur. Uh, yeah, I saw your your food truck. It says home of the iron
1: pie. What's an iron pie? An iron pie is like a gourmet pressed sandwich. Um, we take two pieces of bread and a flavorful concoction of either savory or sweet um, ingredients, and we press them between two pie irons or square irons over a fire. It's a, it's a camping tradition. I used to do. I used to go camping up north in Wisconsin with my cousins and we used to make them and then uh, kind of evolved over time. And my wife and I started a little farmer's market stand with them and then found a horse trailer, took some CB friends of mine and we converted it into a food trailer and it was going to be our runway to uh, sustain for the family while we pursue music. Awesome. Well, cool.
0: So doing that and also mortgage lender, you know, helping veterans find find homes. Um, so getting into that, that's a good place to be, just to understand how that works, right? Sure. Um, but you know, singer, songwriter on a mission, you're you're launching uh this house show tour this October. So next month. That's right? right. And you're actively seeking some sponsors to 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 get you going there. Um, you know, lots of resilience, creativity, faith, immersed in the fatherhood, full court press. So yes, sir. We'll, we'll get into your story. But before we do that, let's hit some memories. Nate Otto, 2015 lineman. Um, he remembers your musical prowess around the team uh, and school began at the prep school, like back at the prep school, you were doing it um, and actually recorded the national anthem for Nat's graduation. We Maybe. did do that. I totally you forgot. That? Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> he was all, always destined to be the father of our class. What he said. He said, We always said he was 22 going on 40, meaning the guy wrote uh, Josephine, uh, which is one of your songs, right? It's for your daughter before you even knew your
1: wife, Carrie. Yeah. They used to call me Clark Griswold. (laughs) And I actually took that as a compliment. I was very honored. (laughs) Nice. Cool. Next one
0: Johnny O'Boyle, wide receiver 2013. Uh, he said that you started dating your, his sister without his permission.
1: What? <laughs> Maybe. Um, we we might have had had a date. She was a lovely woman. <laughs> I didn't deserve her. Gotcha. Next one. Pablo Beltran who's a punter. Um, you had a blue acoustic guitar, but our baby blue was my my Fender, because it's a blue Fender. I'll show you. It's still sitting here. Gotcha. This guy right there. See it. But uh
0: we got another one from uh, Pablo. He said, Um, you had some rap battles with Aaron Davis.
1: I did, and we won. I used to crush Aaron Davis in rap battles. <laughs> and I hope Aaron hears this. Awesome. Mike Huff, uh two thousand
0: fourteen linebacker D line. He said, uh, when I think of Chris, I think right away about the time a bunch of us threw um, a change of clothes in the car, headed to Philly for my brother's graduation party for my parents' house. You know, I had, had a bit of a, a party going on there, but you brought your guitar and ended up playing for the whole party.
1: It sounds familiar. I mean, it sounds accurate.
0: Yeah, bit of a theme there. Next one. <laughs> uh, and, uh, Really, the last two, these are a little bit longer. Been. Trebeo? Ben Trebello? Ben Tamburillo. Tamburillo. All right. 2016. 2016, lineman, offensive lineman. Um, I remember my freshman year when Chris played music but not really to what extent. Um, I was checking Facebook one day, a video popped up of Chris in Smoke Hall playing Ho Hey by the Lumineers. And a monster crowd was listening to him there at the Naval Academy. Um, he said he crushed it, had everyone stopping, clapping, and it was like a Wednesday night, uh, which is not like the easiest time or place to, to draw an audience, but you did that. Uh, I remember being super impressed with the dude in the locker room, what he was doing. Um, he had brought this up to you uh, and you showed him like a ton of great music that you've been written. You've been writing over the years, some of the songs that he still listens to 18 and song about Kyle. I think we're close to him. He said at one point, Zach Brown band and third eye blind were coming to play at, the, you know, at the Academy for the brigade and there was a contest. You could submit a video if you won You'd get to meet Zach Brown, hang out with him before the show. Uh, You needed some backup. So you asked him and a couple other guys uh, to come to Ricketts and play one of Zach's songs for the contest. Um, You quarterbacked the whole deal because, you know, kind of knew what you were doing. But you all ended up winning.
1: Yep. So that's pretty cool. We met Zach Brown and uh, got to hang out. Zach Brown at the time was doing a Zach Brown barbecue. We would do a eat and greet where you could hang out with him before the show and he'd do his own barbecue and, and uh, he just would talk to us. And so the Academy held that for everybody. And we sang the song natural disaster, me and a couple guys from the team, natural disasters and the Zach Brown song. And uh, yeah, we got in and I'll never forget what Zach Brown said. Cause I was at the time thinking I'm going to pursue music. I'm going to five and dive, slow it yep. and uh, I'm going to pursue it. So I was asking Zach like, Hey man, what, what, what would you do? What, what's your advice and stuff? And I'll never forget. He said, just have no plan B. I think that's, you know, Zach Brown and his his crew was probably traveling and playing gigging for 10 years before they broke out with chicken fried, maybe longer than that, actually. Yeah. And, uh, I remember asking them just how did they stick, you know, how did just sustain the, the will to keep going and whatnot. And they just didn't have any plan B they could, they had no other choice to keep going. So I try to remember that all the time when I'm trying to, uh, pursue this because yeah, I can't really have a no plan B. I don't want to be reckless with my family and stuff, but I try to keep, stay close to that as best I can. Gotcha. That's
0: cool. Um, let's see. Last one. George Jameson. DB of 15. Um, the first time I heard Chris play was during football camp talent show. Our, our plea year, He said, uh, you and your brother walked out in Speedos and guitars. And he
1: wasn't that was expecting our, that. That was our staple. We <laughs> were They were underpants. Okay, and they were—I uh, think Captain America.
0: Well, he said y'all ended up being the best performance that night. Um, your, he, your your songwriting and voice have grown a lot, very much since those days uh, of playing in the speedos in front of a bunch <laughs> of rowdy dudes. Um, that you've grown and refined your skills, and a true—it's a true testament of your steadfast, steadfast dedication to the craft.
1: So. Mm. You know, George is my, my brother-in-law, too. And it's funny nice. how uh, Johnny, I believe, brought up me dating his sister because I ended up marrying George's sister. And it's just funny. It must have been a trend there. Awesome. Well, cool, man. That's the
0: uh, intro memory. So yeah, here I, I turn it over to you to, to tell the story. And then, you know, obviously I got some questions toward the end, and I'll interject throughout. But <laughs> go for it.
1: All right. Well, uh, here's John one more time. Hey,
2: man. That was embarrassing as hell. Sorry, fellas.
1: Oh, <laughs> It's a fresh haircut, John. Thanks.
2: Start working tomorrow, today or tomorrow? Tomorrow, first haircut in uh, Fernandina Beach. Uh, it's pretty good. Got you okay. Yeah, low, 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 low fade, thin skin. Yeah, be good. Tony, yeah, good did. to see you, man.
0: Yeah, good to see you too. We just got through intro memories, and we're just about to kick off
2: story time. I've got, I got a quick, I got a quick memory that i'd like to that i'd like to uh to add to the mix that's okay. go for it so uh so chris is aware of this one but this is probably one of my one of my favorite cause there's a lot of good uh there's a lot of good family uh, navy football memories uh involving chris but uh the 95 is eligible is one that's very popular in our family that's what we refer to it as 95 is eligible okay and so so to take the words from uh, from Jeff Lennar, another a great uh, Navy football, uh, or a great um, uh, Price of Admission podcast guest, uh, Chris and I also uh, can claim that we practiced Navy football um, as opposed to uh, to say we, we played. You know, I like to say I played it, but it's more I could just say we practiced. And Chris got Chris got an opportunity was it junior year, Chris, when we were <laughs> Coach. I was teams guy. Yeah, I yeah. Got, I, got, I got my. My way in the field. Coach John's worked in a uh, a trick play that involved Chris. And this was uh and uh, so you know, all the all of it immediately, the thoughts, the possibilities go to your head as as just the glory, possibilities of glory that, that could be in the future. <laughs> and so they call the play, they called his number, which was ninety five, and sure as shit, it works. And it gets the first down. It's a huge play. And I'm watching, I remember it was the one that it was uh I had already graduated. And I'm watching, and I'm like, oh, shit, they just ran a fake. Chris got the ball. Like, this, the whole thing just blowing my mind because, like, you know, being a special teams guy, you're on the field just a couple plays a game. You're on a fun team. You're only on the field just a couple plays a game. So it's like, oh, my gosh, not only are they run a fake, but Chris got the ball. And <laughs> they get a first down, and there's a flag on the field. Mm. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, immediately my thought is, oh, dear God, please don't make it be Chris. Please don't, be, don't let the belly be on Chris. An <laughs> eligible
0: receiver downfield.
2: Ineligible receiver downfield, number ninety-five. Now here's the catch. So like immediately, heart sinks. It's like, oh my gosh, like this will be a great story. But uh, just the the last thing you want to have happen when your number's called in like such a such a uh, <laughs> such a exciting situation. But here's the catch. And to Chris's credit, he was eligible. It was a bad call. Niemot was because you because the camera immediately goes to Niemot on the sideline and he's losing his mind. Uh, and I'm thinking, like any, every viewer is thinking, he's you losing his mind at Chris because Chris just blew that first down, <laughs> critical first down, and or conversion. And but sure enough, he was he was actually young at the ref because they made it back off. So that's one of my favorite. Uh, uh, it get my, reviewed? No, it didn't get reviewed. I don't think you could review the 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 calls at the time. I don't think you could review the. Uh, um, but. Uh, but no that uh, that recording is somewhere in the the, the northern family and navy football lore and which program yeah. on history.
1: It was the most recorded screen time I ever had for navy football. <laughs> it was uh, <laughs> about a 15 20 second montage and replays. My family was going crazy. There's the most <laughs> TV time we ever had and they were watching the replay and I was getting circled like here's northern 95 and my favorite part from the commentators was when they're circling my my jersey and everything on there. And one commentator, and they're like, they're like color commentating now. My steps in the replay, and like, northern catches the pitch here. He pitches it, attempts to make a block, and it's like me missing a guy on a block. <laughs> um, oh. But uh, I had a knack. I had a knack for like just bad attention on myself on the football field, where it was like I was just was praying nothing went wrong when I was out there. And of course, they call a fake, and we run it a million times. We ran it beautifully, but of course. There's a flag run, and I thought, of course, I thought I messed up somehow, and now Coach Nehemiah is screaming at me. I just feel like I had a knack for letting that guy down. But uh, it's it's
0: all good. I remember my first time getting thrown in as when I was a sophomore against Rutgers, and I took two steps and just ate dirt. Uh, no one touched me. <laughs> and then like the play after that, I got spun around, and tried to tackle Ray Rice from like backwards, and that didn't work either. So there's a there's that uh. Thrown to the fire type of feel that you gotta kind of yeah that that hurdle you gotta jump. No, over. I, I would right.
1: say in my football career, I uh, I worked really hard, and we we just kind of followed my footsteps. My brother John was obviously an incredibly hard worker on and off the field, and I just uh, looked up to him that way and did my best the same. I think I had good size, and I had i had a lot of potential i just you know at the end of the day i kind of was an overthinker on the football field and uh just you know had opportunities and just didn't couldn't couldn't seize the moment when i had to and it was it was still just you know 100 good experience and very valuable learning experience for me playing football at the naval academy and the friendships we built and then um going into the fleet i told you that earning my swopin was very hard for me too. And it was like a tremendous challenge, I think mostly because I didn't want to be there. I didn't really enjoy ship life. I think a lot of people who have been SWOs can say the same and they know what I'm talking about. But when I finally had to just buckle down, like I couldn't, you couldn't skate through uh, boards, you're getting murder boards left and right. And I, well, maybe on some ships, but on my ships, at least they're very high functioning ships and they held the very high standards. And it just uh, put me through the ringer again, where I just needed to buckle down and truly immerse myself in this uh, knowledge that is the surface warfare in that mission capability, I had to immerse myself in it, had to truly apply, apply my entire brain to text and experience and application and reps and reps and reps. And um, it again, just humbled me to, to realize that uh, we, when you uh, apply yourself, you can actually, you know, uh, master something because I remember I used to say, "You take the LSD." You know, I was on amphib ships, and if you could, the six hundred foot long ship, two football fields long, like a hundred feet wide, and I couldn't tell you when I stepped on the the aboard for the first time, I couldn't tell you what LSD stood for. And then two years later, if you flip that ship upside down and everything, little nuts and bolts fell out, I could tell you where every part was supposed to go and why it was supposed to be there, and Again, I've learned in those couple of years uh, at sea, okay, so if you can immerse yourself and apply your brain to something you don't really enjoy, imagine what you could do to something like a passion you have. And that was that songwriting and music. And again, I always knew I wanted to pursue music and pursue that as a career. I think uh, a younger side of myself would have said, uh, yeah, it's just going to work out. I'm going to go out to uh, go leave the Navy and I'm just going to become a rock star. What the Navy taught me was, no, it doesn't work that way. Uh, You have to pay the price. And then I learned how to pay the price in the Navy. So I basically took a Navy surface warfare training plan and mimicked it to be a uh, music development plan where it was supposed to be a whole whole 52 weeks, big Excel sheet where I just listed every aspect of uh, the music industry. And it was writing, co-writing, performing, live sound, live gigging, recording, producing, um, networking showcasing you name it building a band all of those things and I basically built a training plan over 52 weeks and that was gonna be that was gonna be my first immersion into the music industry and I was gonna apply the exact same principles I learned as a SWO and as a football player and where I got tripped up was um, the Navy taught me to be results driven because we could put a whole ship together you can get every department and a an admiral could come down and give you some bonkers order or bonkers mission that we didn't think was possible. And then when you find a week later, we pulled it off somehow. And I could just, I was just always watching a, a a table, you know, a discussion happen, a brief happen, a plan put to place, personnel put to the plan, tasks executed, mission accomplished. So I said, okay, cool. All I got to do that is for the music business. I'm going to put a plan together, put a team together, execute the tasks, and we're going to be huge. And, um, this next phase of my life in the last like couple of years in pursuing this music career has taught me to love process, not love the results or be results driven. Got to be process driven, because if I think of you, you know, I'll tell you, if you look at my numbers, if you look at uh, you know, the, the optics on social media and stuff like our followership is pretty low and you know, et cetera. But I think if you look at the process we've been through, the strides we've made from the beginning and the foundation we've built, that's where I have to remind myself um, of the success we've had. And while I think we're at a slow build, we're at a very steady build, and I have had some invaluable learning in, in terms of not only in the music industry, but also in a business startup, because that's what we are. That's what I am as a songwriter. I'm trying to create a healthy business around my music, bottom line. So now I'm trying to take every aspect of my product that is the song and market it and put a business around it. That includes capital, raising capital. That includes sponsorships over tours. That includes um, collaborating and marketing with other other companies and trying to find your way and trying to make a way. So it's been, uh, you know, on top yeah. of the co writing and uh, mastering the craft of songwriting and performing. That in itself has been a challenge, but also building a business around it. It's kind of like, you know, being a business-minded artist. And I owe credit to you, the fleet, the naval academy, our network, our people—that have just kind of um, enlightened me of how to be that, be that person in this industry.
0: I obviously got a lot of things to talk to you about uh, with that because um, it's really cool. I, I think I, I mentioned earlier, but um, man, if I had your skill set, like you've got, like that's what I would try to do, right? Because I'm, I'm all about it. I love music. Um, I got to take you back though. I want to know more, and I want your fans and listeners to know more about how, like, how you were raised. When did you grab the passion of music? Like, tell, us, tell us more about that.
1: Uh, John and I were raised with our younger brother and older sister outside of Philadelphia at PA. My parents were, um, I think, like second, third generation Philly, Philly people. And uh, my dad played a lot of John Denver growing up. That was kind of his go-to. Um, we had a big CD player in the house, you know, connected to the house sound. And um, it was very, normal. So you got a
0: song called John Denver. So that kind of yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. I
1: um, have a lot owe a lot of tribute, a lot of credit to him for many different reasons. But uh, my dad would play John Denver and then he would have a guitar. And when he would sing, he'd sound a lot like John Denver. And he kind of had he kind of reminded me of myself as I kind of grown into myself. But he was a lot like me playing guitar in college. He was a baseball player and a football player at Cornell University and ended up going to play some minor league ball with the Yankees and uh, the Expos. And so he had a really cool career um, and didn't, you know, go into the music industry at all, but certainly was a major influence on us. So I owed to my dad kind of like our my skill and talent, I think, as a as a performer. But I owe my mom credit for the taste of music. I think my dad has good taste in music for sure. But my mom, uh, I remember in sixth grade, I was big into like Blink-182 and um, Backstreet Boys. Like it was a great mix of pop and, and suburban pop but uh, entering sixth grade, I remember my mom got me in a CD. And I'm, I'm like excited because I, I love getting CDs and music. This is back in the Sam Goody days. If anybody remembers going to Sam Goody, <laughs> but um, in the mall, who knows what a mall is? But um, my mom got me a CD and I opened it up. It was Beatles One. I'm like, what the shit is the Beatles? Like, what is this? Mm-hmm. So crap. And uh, my mom, I just tell she's like, just just try it out. And I remember playing Beatles one, and I just was obsessed with it for the whole like year. And I also remember what. I think how old were you during that time? I think I was sixth grade. I, I remember grade. how like I always try to trace back the the lineage of like music influences. Okay. And uh, it was sixth grade. And also another major influence musically that my mom picked up on was the remember oh sorry the Remember the Titans soundtrack. It was a big Creedence Clearwater revival influence ccr was on a lot of those songs i remember telling my mom like mom i love these songs and she got me a ccr cd and i still was like skeptical I was, like mom this isn't like i want the m m show like what is this right
0: <laughs> uh yeah my fifth grade favorite was uh actually kid rock devil without a cause big old oh, middle dude. finger on it
2: uh, with the middle Bang. finger the front. <laughs> Dom, the huge i used to kid listen to that
0: before football games baby oh still man it's
1: pumped up still no gets you pumped up So my mom really was, was great at just feeding me classic rock and really good music. I went on a big bender of like Beatles one into classic rock, which was a Pink Floyd phase into a Led Zeppelin phase into what became a humongous Def Leppard phase, which is kind of John and I's staple as major Def Leppard fans, low key, awesome band, not even low key. Like they're, they're not just a great hair metal band. They're one really excellent band of musicians, but, uh, it just kind of evolved that way. And my brother and I used to play a lot of music. We'd have these living room shows in our in our families, gatherings. We'd, every once or twice a year, we'd have a huge family gathering at our house. And it was just our most like uh, highly anticipated event of the year. And John and I and our younger brother, Ben, and sometimes my sister, Allie, we'd get together and prepare some songs to play for everybody. And um, sometimes it was really well-received. Sometimes I think... I was forcing everybody to listen to me play music, but it's all good. It was all, you know, uh good for good fun. But gotcha. So John, you were a guitarist or you play anything else?
2: So so I, I played uh some acoustic guitar and then I would sing along but really it was okay. Chris and and my youngest brother Ben who uh, is the real musical talent in the family um but it was kind of like a it was a really cool everybody join in type feel you know like yeah. aunts uncles mom dad and then like my dad my or Chris mentioned my dad singing John Denver he was always kind of like the the finale or the closer you know we yeah. we do like our covers and our renditions of whatever songs we wanted to and everyone usually kind of sing along and then we handed over to dad to to sing country roads and everyone the we like, bring, he'd bring the house down everyone would be you know, it'd be later in the evening. Most of the adults are are uh, a few few drinks to the a few few sheets to the wind, and yep. uh, just just good family memories of uh, just you know belting out some lyrics and That's stuff like that.
0: Very similar memories myself of uh, all my uncles and my dad get together and family get together to do the exact same thing.
2: Awesome, it's awesome. Yeah, it's
0: definitely uh, one of those movers and shakers of, in, a, in a young man's life, right? Yeah, I remember growing up watching like Selena, La Bamba, like those kind of stories are awesome. I just got done with uh, little baby. Uh, but it's, those are cool stories, like where they came from, where they became. Yeah, yeah. You know, like I just uh, also got done with uh, a recent Joe Rogan podcast with a guy named Oliver. Oliver. Yeah. yeah you yeah, know the, what I'm talking about. The, the rich yeah. from North of yeah. Richmond. That yeah. guy. Yeah, Gosh, If you haven't listened to that, you should. There's actually a, I had a fun memory out of that that I thought would be fun for you um he was talking about you know the song or whatever um you know he actually recorded that song on an android iphone it's crazy android iphone not even in a studio um and then it like he he also like started the song didn't finish it but threw it up on social media like he did a partial Mm-hmm. And then people are like, "Oh, I like that." And then he was like, "All right, well, I'll finish the song." And like six hours later, he finishes the song, he records it, uploads it, and it's like number one on iTunes. And it, you know, yeah. later.
1: it's crazy. And it can, I, it I just pop. We, yeah, I mean, I think um, I'm like it's 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 uh it's hopeful to watch stuff like that to see you know it makes you it proves that you know anything is possible. That's kind of like the end of the day is like, yes. You can I put a lot of heart and soul into really polishing everything before everybody sees it. I'm very like self-conscious about, you know, putting everything out there. But if you've noticed in social media today, I mean like people are more in tune with raw footage. Like TikTok is your greatest uh example of that where like I just could bring myself to like just play an acoustic like here's a song I wrote right now. Like, I'd rather want I'd rather wait until you saw like the finished product and everything. But like if you see today, like people are blown up on just mm. throwing throwing stuff out there and he he luckily had a radio station in appalachian radio i think that's like located around him and they filmed him doing that song and so you right, know the story oh yeah 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 the, the right guy shared it and it was totally natural i don't believe in success for anybody being an accident so i gave him all the you know it was um you couldn't have predicted it you couldn't have have planned it he just put some raw, authentic, good, yeah. you know, emotional music out there and the right guy saw it. And I believe it's divine. I think there's a people out there that needed to hear that song. And God uses art that way to um, to get his message out there. And he's obviously a believer and, and does the same thing. And uh, if you go yeah. to, to that podcast, he speaks to that a lot. But I think and God you, used us all for that.
2: Yeah, exactly. yeah I'll, I'll, go ahead. I was just gonna say Zach Bryan's notoriety is kind of resonated from a similar uh, similar spot, just recording things on his phone, putting it on Twitter, and that, that kind of authenticity, I think, really resonates with people. Yeah, and they're seeing it. It
0: is the authenticity that, that gets it, because mm-hmm. a lot of these artists and all those stories and all those documentaries and stuff, they they're they're trying to find their way right, or they'll like try and copy something, but like as soon as that authenticity breaks through, it's like boom, that's what mm-hmm. happens. Right. um one of the things that Oliver Anthony talked about was you know i, I didn't even think this song was going to be the one like i was invested in these other songs like i thought these were the, the killers right here well boom like i don't know what made him come come out and just start you know from the gut like ah, that that poor oh,
1: yeah. that that you hear that i hear that story all the time and even on big on artists of bigger scale like you know bon jovi would always say that living on a prayer was like the the mail it in song of that album. Like they're like, Hey, we got to get one more on here. And they did no expectation, expectation of being the single there or anything and living on a prayer obviously became humongous, but it usually works that way. Like you put, you know, if you overthink it and you, you, uh, you know, overthink the craft. I think there's the natural flow of things. Def Leppard pour some sugar on me. I think they wrote that song in like five minutes. (laughs) Um, you know, but anyways, I'm not surprised to hear any of that from, from Oliver Anthony. And, uh, you just gotta trust that—that's in store for your music too. And I think what's also true is that, like, he just chipped away and chipped away, and I think it certainly came sooner than he ever expected it would. And I do believe, like I said, I do think there's divine intervention and in all that. But I totally just trust my time is in in God's hands and in my time in, in Oliver's time. And I just always bless, you know, when that guy when something like that happens, I'm just like that was his, it was his time to you know to do that. And I just trust that My time awesome. has come too. Or it won't. You know, I you know, I'm not just paying that lip service. Like I genuinely believe that this is where I'm supposed to be, genuinely believe in my purpose, and I'm taking it one step at a time, as best I can, as hard as I can. And it either will evolve, it will evolve to something I need to evolve it to, but I don't know if that's gonna be a you know humongous stage one day.
0: My perspective, I think that's the exact right approach. Keep keep consistent, keep grinding on that. You're passionate about it, you're gonna love it. At some point it's gonna pop. Um, I'm going to take you back real quick because I also try and touch on transition stories throughout these. Uh, You did some time at Amazon. What happened there? (laughs) A very short step.
1: Well, I had this master plan. I told you that I was getting out of the Navy in 2020. And I have this. um, I get myself in trouble because I put this master plan on paper and it looks when it's on paper, it looks doable. And then when you're living through it, it's like, okay, this is way, you know, you can't account for some of the physical and emotional uh, effects it may have, like on the whole family. But I had this plan. Okay, I said, "Care, we're gonna take this food truck. We're gonna move to Memphis. We're gonna move in with your family. And we're gonna take a whole year. I'm gonna immerse myself in this music development plan I made. And we're gonna make food. We're gonna make iron pies. We're gonna do house shows. And we're just gonna make it work. And on paper, it looked good. Um, it was around the same time COVID was was." ripe it was like march 2020 we had just had our second child our my first son our only son um and we were getting out in the the spring of that year and it became kind of like my plan of going to all these festivals with our food truck and all these different ideas they started to evaporate when COVID started you know locking everybody up so like this plan i had just kind of disappeared so i got a little nervous and i decided i should start looking for a job that uh, would help us you know along and I was a nice green, uh, excited, I call myself, you know, when you're getting out for the first time as a JO, it's kind of feels like you're going to free agency, you're very marketable. I was thinking I'm like, you know, Amazon, big company, awesome corporation, I felt right hook, line and sinker for their kind of like military pathways vibe. And it's all true. I see now why they recruit folks in the military, because ultimately, if that fulfillment center could have a propeller, it would have been a warship. All I was, a, I was a division officer again, 12, 13 hour days, super yep. high volume. Amazon's a grind. It's a grind. And like I said, it's a well run company and everything they speak for is, is true. And, and I, and I appreciate that company, but it was not what we were looking to do. I was looking to have a job to help us along while I could pursue music and it was just taking up all my time. And I knew my, like I, you know, at that point, I knew what I was doing. I knew what I was planning to do and I wasn't afraid to be like, well, I'm out. You know, like I, you know, I, I just quit. I was there for one month and I just knew this is not what we are supposed to do and I was not gonna waste time at all with that. So I just um kind of on every you know, got everyone's graces and said I need to depart this and, and leave before it's too late. Cause I didn't want to get too invested either. You have yeah. stocks you're investing in and stuff like that. And um they you know, though they, they give you stocks and whatnot, and I wouldn't want to get like two years in and just keep holding on a little bit, holding on a little bit longer, and then feel like, well, I might as well stay for four years to get fully vested in my stocks. I didn't want to even go to that pathway. I knew what was going to happen if I just didn't cut the, cut the cord right away. So I just got it, got off there yeah. and we got to Memphis and I realized like there was still plenty of opportunity with food trucks. I mean like ironically when all restaurants were shutting down and stuff, the food truck became the safe way to eat. It was ridiculous. But like we were going to neighborhoods like all the time and just serving up iron pies in neighborhoods and people were, it was, it was fine. Like we, yeah. we, we, we laid it on our feet. And I just didn't trust trust that we would. I got, you know, I let fear creep in and I just started doubting things and I, I would do knee-jerk reactions to go get a job. The second thing that was a major help with me was the Navy Reserves. And I'm still in the Reserves. With the benefits they provide, I could gig. I was just gigging around. I was, I was in, Mil- I'm in Millington here in the Memphis area. There's a Navy base here. There's a Navy installation where there's always support needed. So I just came into my Reserve Center. I was like, hey, I'm pursuing this music thing. I'm trying to start a business. I, you know, I'll take any work you can get. And little things dropped here and there. And I would just get a drill pay here, drill pay there. So we were making things work. I mean, like I just would call, I was like gigging in the reserves and uh, it was really fulfilling. I enjoyed the work I was doing. And it was giving me that luxury of of um, pursuing the the development plan I had for music. And it was a very, it gained, we gained a lot of ground in that first year. And what I mean by ground, I mean in that foundation, like we found um, a team here in Memphis. I, I you know, befriended a really good, Music engineer, sound engineer, a really good band, uh, some good co-writers. And like there are some major building blocks that we were able to accomplish in that first year because of the reserves and just because of the freedom I had, the liberty I had. And again, that was one of my questions. How'd you go about building that band? How'd you put that team together? Just I'm I really do enjoy networking. I really have no problem getting in front of people and just telling them what I'm doing because I believe in it. You know, I I don't have any doubt that what I'm going to show you is is worthy of your time so i go in in front of people and i just i know i just i don't know i just kept sniffing around i knew one person who wrote a good album here in memphis you know i had a cousin here that lit, went to the university of memphis she said hey there's this guy he's really a good singer songwriter just put an album out you should meet him and i was like yeah let's do it got coffee i asked him who his software engineer or is uh I'm sorry, i asked him who a sound engineer was the guy who produced it said it was so-and-so and i was like cool can we meet like one thing led to another and i just would put myself in situations where it would you know the networking was beneficial i remember doing a christmas show i was getting vocal lessons from a girl here in memphis and she does a christmas show at this um memphis uh memphis rock club called Lafayette's. and backstage at the christmas show i just did like one song like i mc the event i just took the opportunity backstage was a girl named tracy de leon she lives in nashville i ended up writing you know one thing led to another we started writing songs and i think we've written four or five songs and they're probably my best songs I've ever written with her. And like little things like that, little small victories of meeting the right people, opening the right doors. Um, I continue to say God has just allowed this plan to happen, you know, and never in the way I planned for it, just the way Oliver Anthony did not plan for it. Um, Doors are opening and slowly the plan just continues to sustain day by day, just with God's provision over it. Awesome.
0: That's a beautiful thing.
1: You ever uh, get on a stage in, in Nashville? Yeah, I've done a few shows. I do some rounds in Nashville, and my band had our first like Nashville debut earlier this summer. Awesome. Um, oh. That speaks to again. There was just this in this development plan. I had a lot of showcases I was going to. In the song, the music business is just like any other industry in terms of like the marketing and the networking business side of it. There's conventions. There's conferences. All around, there's networking conferences all around. Industry professionals meeting artists and, and people trying to make it in the in the music world. I was going to a lot of those, and I just kept meeting people and meeting people and like you know trying to stay with them on in the build a relationship and, and a really cool um, Navy football relation here. So one thing led to another, friends of friends keep talking to people. We get to Nashville. I'm talking to people, networking with people, and I go to this showcase with a friend and she introduces me to the guy who put the whole show on. And he's just like major producer in, uh, Nashville just super storied career. Um, and just, you know, one of the, one of a a legend in in the area and super well connected and gifted at everything. So he introduces me to him. Hey, what's up, man? Uh, I just give him a quick background story. Went to the Naval Academy. And he says, Oh, you went to the Naval Academy. Um, you know, my son played football with a guy who went to the Naval Academy and at Brentwood Academy. And I'm like, what's his name? And his, he was, he played football with Amos Mason, who was a defensive lineman with me. And That's they were close friends. And then like it just the guard just went down for this guy. And he's like, hey, anything I do for you, let me know. I'm like, cool. So like we kept meeting, kept calling him up, and he kept answering his phone. Bottom line, this guy just kept, kept taking my calls, kept taking my uh my calls. Yes. And uh one thing led to another, I finally said, like, listen, can you, you know, I'm trying to raise money here. Like I said, like I'm here's my business plan, here's my model for how I can think we can build a healthy business around my songs. Here's my three-year plan. Here's my six-month goals. Here's everything. I'm trying to raise capital right now. We're in like a seed stage, you know, um, s- grant- granted we raised the capital. Uh, would you want to produce one of my EPs I want to put out? And he was like, yeah. And and one thing I think was really special is he looked at me. He's like, nobody's doing what you're doing here in Nashville. There's not an artist out there that is, that is approaching it in the, with the business mentality you are. And he wasn't he wasn't the first person to tell me that, which has always been really um, reassuring to me that, like, again, I'm behind in terms of a lot of artists out there. Like I joined this whole industry when I was 30 years old and I've been writing all the time. And I think I was writing good songs and everything. But at the same time, like I just had 10 years behind some of the folks who moved to Nashville, I got high school. My edge was I had this mature approach to doing this 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 business and just being a slow and steady grind and um trying to uh take a business-minded approach to it again knowing that this is a game of will like if i just chip away at this and chip away at this chip away at this one is my passion it's, i'm never gonna you know i'm not gonna lose sleep over trying to get better as a songwriter but two something will something will break one small break two small breaks a bigger break a bigger break that's kind of like my mentality It's the way it's been for the last you know two years and um i'm just continuing to do that and it's we like i said God's continued to just allow it step-by-step. It's awesome.
0: I asked the Nashville, I went to Nashville for the first time over the summer. It was like paradise. Yeah. One of your your songs called paradise. That's actually the one on your, your first EP that I liked the most. Nice. Um, But yeah, it's like the Vegas of
1: music. It is. And the only one I can think can compete is is if you've been to Austin, Texas. Oh yeah. That's where I grew up. Austin claims that they're the live music capital of of the world. And, um, there's just there's something different about nashville man it's cool it's no doubt it's very um uh you know i purposely chose to come to memphis because i wanted to be in a smaller market it's kind of like if you're an actor and you move straight to la or new york city you know i think it's a um small fish big pond kind of vibe where i chose that we could we could raise our family here in Memphis. We have a lot of family here. We're close enough to Nashville and I'll come to Nashville when Nashville calls me kind of thing. I just keep making my way in there. But yeah, certainly when I go there, there's a tremendous amount of talent. It's, it's, you know, it's the city, the city holds the, the greatest songwriters in the world live in Nashville. You know, it's just kind of like the, you know, and so I'm all over the place now, but one thing um, I'm trying to always smartly find a way to continue this trying to smartly find a way to, to continue to develop the plan and looking back you know reflect on each year and see what was missing how can we do better and one thing is ultimately i need to eliminate this master i'm serving at, you know the job i need to eliminate you know the ultimate the, the money ma- that what provides for our family you know at the time right now it's you know navy navy work reserves work uh, mortgage lending those things help keep the lights on for our family but obviously they take I earn that money. It takes my time away. It costs me time. And one way we're going to shift this year is we're going to get off these Navy orders and I'm attending Belmont to get a degree in music business. And I can do that obviously through the Navy and get a stipend for it. So it allows us to get some income and allows me to work uh, in the field. I need to be working in at least the the day job technically is school and it's at least at the craft I want to be trying to develop anyways. So we're going to continue mortgage lending. Um, and I, I do love that. And I want to continue to do that for the rest of my life. And I think we've identified that we can do something like mortgage rent, lending and real estate and music together. I think yes. Zip would allow, they both allow to kind of work well together, uh, especially my audience. And I can always uh, work off the, each as a mortgage lender and, and specializing in the VA loans and, and being an expert there. And as a songwriter, uh, I just think you know, in a weird way they can work well together.
0: I got to take you back one more time. The
1: Taylor acoustic guitar. Why the Taylor? Why did you well, actually? One? I actually uh, thought I would love the Gibson J forty five, and it's kind of like known as the workhorse, the thoroughbred of of acoustics. You you know, you have Martin guitars, and they have like their their niche of style of play. You have Taylors, and they have a style of play, and the Gibson is known as like kind of being that hybrid that you can play live with a band. It like holds its own. With a, with a band. So I was like, that's the guitar I want. I had a lot of people I looked up to that played the Gibson, and it is a great guitar, has a great sound, but frankly, it just didn't feel well in my hands. And so I messed around with a Taylor, snagged it for a show, uh, and just kind of like, you know, I love the sound of it. I love the way it, it felt, and I just kept playing it. So I'll probably be trading my Gibson in for another Taylor uh, here soon. But I just, I just, uh, I don't think I'm. I know how to play that Gibson, bottom line. I don't think I've given it justice. Gotcha. Um,
0: I had one that, you know, said, hey, what drew you to music? I think you talked about that already. So I'm gonna skip on to genre. What would you call your genre? For people that have never listened to you. What do you play?
1: I think we fall under the Americana realm, but I I think I take pride if in in having a wide variety of music influences. And it becomes like a mix of folk pop, alternative rock, and it's kind of what Americana is. Americana is a broad is a broad subject and I think true Americana is a little more on the bluegrass folky side, but you got this country roots, rock, um alternative pop kind of influences and it basically is just all you know if you're a real true fan of music, it's hard to have only one genre you like. I think you' you become a fan of just good music. And there's good music in every genre. And there's good pop songs. There's good country songs. There's good rock songs. There's good folk songs. And I, like, like thanks to my mom and my dad and just the influences over the over time, I built a very eclectic catalog of music influences in my head. Awesome. Yeah. Well, and I, went so, I went
0: through. Yeah. I went through your catalog and I listened to most of them, if not all of them. And I heard a mix of those, and I'll get to those when I go over some of that.
1: Uh, so but- yeah. We have a lot more music coming out that we're recording and you'll see again, it's just, it it goes all over the spectrum in terms of genre. And I've been told by music professionals, industry professionals that I need to not do that. And I kind of need to find what my sound is, but it doesn't found, it's not in my gut to do that. I just, one, it hasn't naturally came. I believe, I believe when that sound will come, you know, I think getting in the nitty gritty of kind of what distinguishes you as an artist for me, I think it's my voice and the way I play the acoustic guitar and my phrasing, the way I vocally phrase lyrics and stuff. So I think I, that's a good thing because I can put that into all different types of genres. And I usually fall under the acoustic vibe. I think I fit best there. But I'm only naturally letting that that sound evolve. Otherwise, I'm just going to keep playing. I'm going to make you know the best songs I've written are the ones that just say, "Hey, this sounds like a Third Eye Blind song." I'm going to go d- tap into their library and kind of draw influence from that. This sounds like a Lumineers song. I'm going to go for it. And I just go for what the sound comes in. And, um, I'm hoping, I'm hoping that I'll be, uh, admired for that at some point that my fan base will like that there's a broad variety, um, and vibe that you can, you can tap into in all my catalog.
0: Gotcha. I was going to ask what, what sets you apart? Uh, yeah. What's your special sauce?
1: I think it's my song. I think my messaging and I think, uh, and the way I write my song, I think I tap into a, a just a little bit deeper vibe of um, writing where we we touch on family, we touch on the struggles of life, we touch on what real love looks like, sacrifice, commitment to each other, and the joy that is in the struggle of of really committing uh, yourself to responsibility and, and just growing up in adulthood, all that kind of stuff. I think we tap into that like other people do, but I do think we address it in a profound way. I think the way I write my songs is the way I think. And I, I, I think um, we just hit places that haven't been hit before in, in writing. And yes. um, I could speak a little more to that. We're like, you have to have a well-rounded song. I mean, like to, to, to distinguish yourself from everybody else and all the noise out there, you can't just have a really good voice, you can't just play really guitar, really good guitar. You can't just have really good lyrics. A well-crafted song is well-rounded. You've got to have a nice hook, a nice melody that gets your attention. you got to have the lyrics. got to be saying what everybody has said all the time, but just in a unique way. Or uh, you need to be saying something that hasn't been said before. And you have to sing it well, or you have to sing it in a way that's just unique enough that where people like it. And I do think we have that. I think I have a little bit of all that. There's a blend of uh, good songwriting, good melody, catchy hooks, but also messaging that hasn't really been talked about. And sometimes talked about, you know, but just in my unique way. And I think the way I want you to listen is to a song, if you hear me for the first time, I want you to say what what is a good sign of like a good song is that they really like it, obviously, and they try to put the finger on who it sounds like, but they can't. What that means is that's, a, you know, you have a slight uniqueness. You don't want to be so far outside the box, you can't relate to anybody. But if you're like, man, it kind of sounds like Jack Johnson. Man, it kind of sounds like this guy, Stephen Day. I, I kind of hear David David Gray in this guy, but you can't put your finger on it. That means I've identified my own sound. And but you're getting related to people that have really have really accomplished themselves, really established artists. That's kind of like a way of vetting, okay. So like I'm on the right track here and I'm kind of coming into my own. Yes. So, yeah. so
0: you write all your songs. What's what's your approach to writing those songs like where do you start when you start a song, or does it just like out of nowhere? I'm just going to start writing. I just had this idea. How's
1: that? Work? I just came out of nowhere. I think I I think on things a lot. I'm a really really deep thinker, and I reflect on things. And like I said back in the football playing days, at the end of the day, I just kind of overthink, and I just ponder things. I ponder family and my as a father, uh, as a husband. There's just some really profound, fascinating things that we do as humans. Our human condition. And sometimes, one of your songs. One of, yeah, that is one of my songs. It's well, one of my now, favorites. So you listen to "Human Condition"? Yeah, I'll get to it. I mean, Wait.
0: my my favorite songs was number one was "Human Condition." Cool. Um, you know, it's got a nice tempo. There's that pause for effect when you're talking about phrasing. I think that mm-hmm. that was uh definitely apparent. Um, was there something in your life that triggered you to write that song?
1: Yeah, I just was. Reflecting on myself and just like um, this is like a side note, but I think therapy has become like a really cool thing to do in our day and age. Like everybody has, like I haven't gotten therapy myself. I want to, but you're starting to really hear profound things in people's writing, and it's be, it's almost like you can hear their therapist therapist in like the the uh, prognosis they've they've discovered in themselves, and now they write about it and. Sometimes I get psychoanalytic on myself and realize like, you know, when I, when I do that and something, you know, appears to me, like an answer appears to me, usually I'm like, my, my natural thing to do is to put it to song. And in many ways it comes, the answer is delivered to me with a melody. And that's why, you know, it goes back to me thinking this is a a calling. This is a divine thing that I'm just, I can't unhear it. I don't do it myself. It just comes to me in a lyric. It comes to me in, in a melody. Yep. And if I like it, I, you know, I log it. And either if I have the opportunity to to, to go right at it that day and, and write the song. I do. Sometimes I got to table it, put it on the shelf. And when I have a co-write coming up or something, that's it's it's coming down the pipe. That's um, that's kind of how it works for me.
0: Uh, best slow song that I heard. I like the Deep Sea Diver.
1: Thanks, man. I, I
0: thought that has some good sound immersion to it. Yeah. Like you were kind of consumed by the sound around the lyrics, you know, absolutely the big sound you. guy. I like that kind of stuff. Um, other side maybe the other side like mm-hmm. that one that was good we can touch um, on that too. Uh, and then Misunderstood is one of your bigger ones right now right mm-hmm. what'd you say
1: yeah and I'll I'll have to admit that I, um, I know my music link is out there somewhere that you're listening to but technically there's, some of those are unreleased so I'm glad you got to hear them because yeah. there's, there's some of my best work is in there that we haven't released yet and we're about okay. to get produced but and it's still great So Misunderstood is probably like one of the more popular ones that we've released. And yeah, um, I wrote that song. I like to say I was we moved to Memphis and I was in in hindsight, it was all my imagination. But I just had this idea that people were naysaying what I was trying to do with my family. And I was, you know, obviously I was quitting Amazon. I was leaving the Navy. I was trying I was moving my family into my in-laws house and we were going to pursue this music thing. And I thought people were looking down on me for that. And I remember going for a run one day, just pissed off. And I just wrote the whole thing while I was running in my head. And I just thought it was because people are just misunderstanding my, my actions that I'm taking. And I'd rather be misunderstood. If, it, if I have to go there, I'd rather be that instead of just some guy that wishes I'd done something that I, 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 should, I that was on my heart. But my point is like a couple of years later, that song's been out now and, and everybody believed in me. Like I don't, I think it was just the devil, you know, pre- preying on my uh, my insecurities when I was in that in that uncomfortable place of, of taking my family somewhere that was risky. And I started to imagine, you know, people looking down on me and I. it's just kind of funny how that worked out. But lots yeah. of times what you think people are thinking of you is just in your imagination. You want to hear a, a critic I got on that one?
0: Some criticism? Yeah. All right. And remember, it's not the critic who counts. It's the man in the arena. Yeah. Uh but man, you're misunderstood. Damn it, you're misunderstood. <laughs> Let's hear it. That's one of those where I was like I was like waiting on you to just roar roar at you. this this thing. Uh, so. Okay. I Good see. song. Good song. Thank you. But, Thank you. Man, bellow that one out. <laughs>
1: yeah, I like I like where your head's at there.
0: Yeah, and then the Paradise one I already mentioned in your first EP had that Jack Johnson type of feel to it.
1: Mm-hmm. Did yeah. you know that that first EP was recorded in Bancroft Hall in the basement? Oh, nice. Was it on a, um, an Android speaker? No, it was a, uh, there, it was an old radio station, WNRV, uh, I think. Yes. It was. it was underneath my room. Yeah.
0: In six one, I think.
1: Um, and so I happen to be company mates with like a guy named Nate Brown and you should go, anybody listening should go check out Nate Brown. He's like gigantic now with him and his brother are like YouTube sensations, but, um, Nate produced, you know, he was a company mate of mine, and we started writing some songs. And he just was incredibly gracious with his time. And we we knocked out four of these things in the basement of Banker Off Tall with like a crappy guitar and a out of tune drum set. And it just shows you Nate Brown's got some skills on the uh, nice. in the recording studio.
0: Yeah, seventy percent now doesn't have to be
1: a hundred percent. Get it out there, right? Yes. Cool. So, that. what's your favorite song? I told you mine. Man. They're my babies, so I mean they like the they like my kids. You gotta so pick one. How to pick one? My favorite song. Um, my favorite song released out and about right now.
2: Mm. All
1: right, let's open it to two. All right, I'd say my f- favorite song is. I love "Don't Give Up the Ship," and I love. Man, I love them all. I, I really can't pick. It's like picking, it's like saying, pick your favorite kid. I have, they all mean a lot to me. And I, and I can, it's a bad answer, but like Baydale is a jam and it's got a lot of just awesome memories to it. John was talking about playing music together as a family. We wrote that song for my Aunt Pei. And a lot of football players know Aunt Pei, stayed at Aunt Pei's house off of Baydale's exit on 50. And um, she died of cancer a few years back. And we all were in her living room. After her funeral, and I had the guitar and just was very normal of us to be jamming. And I wrote that song right there with everybody in the room. And it's just been a great jam. It's just a fun sing along song. Everybody can sing to it. It gets a lot of great, uh, it's a popular song as well. Such an anthem. Yeah, I think, I don't know. And then John Denver, again, like we, I wrote that song when snowboarding in Breckenridge. I love the snowboard. And I just always think of John Denver for obvious reasons when we're out in the Rocky Mountains. And then he has a major influence on me growing up. You know, it's a major tribute to my dad. It's a major tribute to John Denver and his writing and being out in the wilderness. You know, it's I can speak in depth of all these songs and why they're just great to me. So it's hard to pick my favorite. Josephine has a cool story. I wrote it uh, in college, obviously, in calculus class before like a Pablo or like Nate said, before I even knew I'd have a daughter. What's cool about that song is the first the first lyric to the song is. Uh, I think on the new Josephine Elisa after my mother, I see you dancing full of joy, playing with your brother. And not only did we have a girl, our first child, I mean, Andrew Josephine, but our next kid was a boy. And you know, that lyric is truly prophetic in a way like it's come to life. You know, the stars aligned, the stars aligned. And I don't know. I just, um, it's hard to pick my favorite. I thought I do have some really ones that I'm excited about that you've gotten to hear. I don't know if anybody else, I mean, if you dig around, like, you know, obviously if you do the right dig, you get to the link. It's got this music on there. But um, there's some really good ones I'm excited about. Deep Sea Diver means a lot to me. And uh, Tofu is a jam that I can't wait for people to hear. Yeah, that one's pretty good, too. Human Condition, they're all good songs. It just gets better and better.
0: Yeah, I like the I like just learning about the human human experience. I think the human condition captures a lot of that.
1: So Mm -hmm. it's cool. And, And that song, I mean, like we haven't even written the second verse to that song. If you notice, I just repeated verse one to verse two because I'm still trying to decide how am I going to, where am I going to take it? uh, Because it's a profound, you know, to think about the human condition. But I remember hearing that somebody, somebody, I don't know what I was listening to, some podcast, but somebody identified, you know, the human condition. And I just hit me like a ton of bricks, like, oh man, that is such a cool concept. And it's like you dealt with this. It's really like the acts of the flesh is what it is. And we're, we're born with corrupted with sin. And, and we just have this condition that, you know, we can't get out of our own way sometimes. And, um, it's just a fascinating thing. So
0: cool. Well, what's, uh, so what's your in between song type of entertainment style from a, like swagger standpoint when you you sing a song and you're trying to entertain the crowd, like what do you
1: do or, or like, one of my, what do you mean? So
0: like, say so you're on stage or you're doing yeah. a show. Okay. You do a song, you close it out. And there's like this pause in between songs. Like, how do you work the crowd? Or like, how do you, do you just jump right into the next song? Or like,
1: you know, it truly is an art performing. Like I got oh. going back to my, my training development plan for music. Performing is one of those things you have to work at. And um, I do think I have some natural skill there. I love talking to an audience. I love to perform. So, it's not very hard for me to to talk between songs and because there's so much stories behind each song, it's really easy just to, try to tell the story. But to your point, there is a craft to how you flow a set, a live yeah. set, and lots of times I pick and choose um what songs just go right into the next song. I think there's a there's kind of a um it's kind of a nod to music entertainers that they, that they just kind of open up their set with like two or three songs and then they start talking. You don't want to be talking too much on the stage. You really want your work to speak for itself. So I had to learn that I used to over talk probably like I am in this podcast, but I used to over talk all my uh, songs and like, I immediately, I ended up seeing somebody who was doing the same thing and I could like watching him. I was like, Oh my gosh, like, they're just like, Losing the audience here because they just are doing. Wait, they're talking novels behind each song. Yeah. So I've gotten better, just kind of like letting the song speak for itself, and then yeah. kind of pick and choosing when to talk. And, and well, you have the, to just trust. Yeah, go ahead. I was just going to say another documentary I
0: recently watched was around Post Malone, and man. I've never like I've never been a huge Post Malone fan. Like I like some of his stuff, Um, but after watching, I was like, man, this this guy is dedicated to his craft and has been doing it forever. And you can play a guitar like crazy.
1: They all just make it look really easy. Like that's, yeah, yeah go ahead. I was just going
0: to, but his, uh, his uh, showmanship um, definitely, I think gives him an edge. Yeah.
1: You know, I, th- I think crazy, uh, but <laughs> pop, pop is very deceptive when in terms of like, uh, folks who, who really t- you know, are kind of snobby in the lyrics and stuff like that, they kind of just, dis- they, they may discount pop music and I get that. Uh, but I've certainly learned through this, um this development, how much respect any performing artist has. And when you're post Malone, like he's just not there by accident. There's, you know, none it of those guys like make it there by accident. They are as good, you know, like they might be kind of playing simple, ideas but they're doing it really well it's kind of like watching really funny movies we're hearing like will ferrell somebody saying once it's um you have to be really smart to make dumb comedy or something like that or like you can't just they make it look so easy but it's actually really intense it's really hard and it's a really planned and poised script they're writing and it's same for all sorts of music so i just yeah yeah, i'm not surprised at all you're impressed by post balloon
0: selling tickets
1: um
0: Well, cool, man. That's, that's all the questions I had. You need some sponsors. I do.
1: Right. So tell us more about like, what's the need for you? Well, we're, we're taking this show on the road. We do our house show. So we have a food trailer that my wife and I made and built and we, uh, we go into people's homes and we put on concerts and we serve the food. This is me trying to differentiate myself from other going to play at a bar, a pub, a coffee house, trying to go on the road and playing for like 10 people. I, I thought I could get myself a captive audience. I can give them a very special, unique experience. You really get full, disc- you know, exposure to who I am. Carrie, my wife is right there with me, making the iron pie, serving them up. The band is there. It's intimate. It's memorable. It's unique. And this is kind of my way of cost effectively marketing the music. And we've done a ton of them here in Memphis and have gotten a great response. And so the other like major um, importance to developing your artist following and your artist journey is you've got to get on the road. You've got to uh, get out and about and be playing and playing and playing. And it's very hard to do that when I'm trying to do it with a family. So we're just trying to do it smartly. And so we pr- we're picking cities uh, that we can do, you know, weekend warrior type touring where we just each weekend we pick different cities to go to. And we're just trying to do it uh, with our family and doing it with our house show and giving our, given our whole experience that we like to do, again to do the same thing we've done in memphis and to pay for all that yeah, we are looking for business sponsorships to kind of um use it as an advertising platform to uh in those cities if you have a local audience in virginia beach in Annapolis, in philly um if my audience is a lot of obviously veteran type young adult all the way to middle aged adults you know we we have a broad range of of, of folks a lot of homeowners a lot of family oriented people um and i think uh, a wholesome type audience. And I do think it'd be really beneficial if you're a local business in that area to to jump on and support something like what we're doing. I think our cause is real. And um, I like to think what we're what we're, our purpose is good. And um, we could talk about, you know, what the business sponsorship would entail. But I you know, would love someone to take the opportunity to help us fund this tour and pay for the crew and, and pay for our, our our trips. Gotcha.
0: So like if I'm a sponsor, and you know, I commit something, um, but I get like a sticker on the on the food yeah, truck. So we'll,
1: right? have, we'll have uh, posters, digital posters and physical posters we're printing and posting up in each city and in each venue. Um, we'll do email marketing. We'll do all sorts of social media posting. And de- depending on your tier of sponsor, uh, you can be on all of those things. Um, and we also have song sponsorships. If you wanted to sponsor a song, we would verbally endorse you and give you a shout out during the introduction of that song, speaking to kind of work in the crowd, you could buy a song and we could present the song to the crowd uh, okay. via Tony neighbors thing. But um, yeah, it's, it's kind of it. And we can, you know, if anybody is interested in listen, listening here, uh, just you can have them reach out to me. I have a, a slick sheet they can see and we could just talk at length of what they, you know, I'm open to any types of way we can help each other. Bottom line. Gotcha. Yeah, Sponsors, this is, you got to jump on this
0: wagon. This guy's gonna make it big. He's got the dedication, focus, commitment, and uh, persistence. So, um, definitely has a background to, to see whatever it is he wants to do full and, and throughout the the entire process. So, Thanks, um, if a sponsor wanted to assist, to contribute, how would that sponsor go about doing that?
1: Hit me up. If, if my contact information, I'm, I do not know what I can say on there, but I mean, uh, like I said, I have a, uh, one pager that shows different tiers of sponsorship and we would just exchange the brands they want displayed on the posters and on the banners. Like we'll have a banner at each show. And again, each tier gets their certain amount of real estate on the banner. And then we'll we'll have your contact info into this podcast. That'd be great. They reach out to me and it would be much appreciated. Awesome. All right. Um, Last question. What's your price of admission? My price of admission is drawing near to God, full submission. That's the bottom line. And it's taken me, it's taken me, it's a daily grind of spiritual warfare. Some days I win, sometimes I lose, but more than ever in this very moment of our career right now, it's certainly been a, my will has been tested and I know what's happening in this part of the story. It's getting harder. Um, it's taking longer than I expected, et cetera, et cetera. Um, responsibilities are weighing on me. You name it. I'm in that place of uncomfortable, uh, feeling where most people give up right now. And it's just like perfect timing. Um, if you draw near to God, it's kind of the lesson I learned is he doesn't make it easy for you on purpose or he does not on purpose. And he does it so you can draw near to him. He wants you to draw near to him and throw your burdens on, on him. And I just have to remind myself day in and day out, that's the price I need to pay is complete submission to his plan. And when I can be there in my mind, it's a very comfortable place, very peaceful place and all as well. So I think you know that's definitely been what I've learned over the last 10 years.
0: Beautiful thing. Awesome dude. Well, uh, I'm sure Carrie's wrangling the little
1: one right now. So dinner, dinner is on the table. I'm smelling it. I can't wait to eat it. Awesome. What are you having tonight? Chicken pockets. If anybody is ever coming to Memphis, shout out guys, please call me. Anybody who lives here knows that our door is always open and we will take care of you. Anybody who wants to go duck hunting and duck season, we'll take care of you, et cetera. But if you got Brotherhood fellows coming through here I better get a phone call. Awesome. You ever played in Nashville? Let me know, especially.
0: Um, you know, i got your website information now, so I'll try and stay up to date with that. But um, maybe we'll come down, take a look, and see what Sweetener has to show. So, pretty well, cool. man, if,
1: you, if, if you want to come to Kentucky, if you want to host a house show, we can bring, we'll bring the show to you. Awesome. Give me a little bit of time. Yes, sir. I'll figure it out. All right, man. Uh, take care. appreciate your time tonight. Um yeah. Good talk. Thanks, Tony. Thanks for having me, man. Awesome. This runs for the restless, out at sea. On the night watch in the ocean, deep beneath. And this one's for the bold, their need for speed. Cutting through the clouds, diving down on the enemy. We
0: all give up
1: This one's for the zealous, clung to the creed. Whose fight never dies and will never flee. And this one's for the brave, defending the free. The devil dogs bring it in, the artillery.